Hi, welcome to The Grand Walks. I'm your host, Daniel Bennett. Uh, normally, I work at the theater as uh, the technical director, which means I manage the backstage crew to bring magic to the stage. But since the pandemic's preventing us from doing that, we're focusing the spotlight out into the community to learn a little bit more about some London locals, their favorite places, and what makes them London proud. By now, hopefully you're at the starting place of this walk, which is on what the Western Campus in front of University College building, and have familiarized yourself with the route we're going to walk by either looking at the directions or the map. Today, we're walking with President and Vice Chancellor of Western University, Alan Shepard, and his Golden Retriever, Misha. Uh, listen up for Alan or I giving Misha directions, and that's how you'll know where you are in relation to us. Uh, feel free to speed up or slow down, depending on that, uh, and don't be afraid to give us a pause if need be. The first 10 minutes will be a casual stroll towards Perth Drive, and then we'll pick up the pace after that. Uh, we'll let you know when it's time to start walking, but before we get started, take in the sights around you while listening to Lacey George, who will get us started with a land acknowledgement. Hello friends, my name is Lacey, also known as Wase Abunokwe. I'm the daughter of Mandalkwe, the granddaughter of Jigjiganeshikwe, and the great-granddaughter of Kurokwe. I'm an Anishinaabe woman of, from the Turtle Clan. My mother's family comes from Saugeen First Nation in the Bruce Peninsula along the Saugeen River. My father's family is from Kikonong, which is Kettle Point First Nation, as well as Ojodanong, which is Stony Point First Nation, both of which are along the shores of Lake Huron. My ancestors have lived, loved, laughed, and wept on this land for many, many generations. I honor those who came before us, cared for us, and loved us so that we could be here right now, living in a good way. This walk was recorded in London, Ontario, the traditional lands of the Ottawaderan, also known as the Neutral People, and territories associated with the various treaties of the Anishinaabek, Haudenosaunee, and Lenapewak. Locally, there are three First Nations communities. They are the Chippewas of the Thames First Nation, the Oneida Nation of the Thames, and the Muncie Delaware Nation. We would also like to recognize the urban indigenous population comprised of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit people. We acknowledge the traditional lands upon which we operate, as well as all the sacred waterways. So can you tell me a little bit about where we're standing right now? As I understand it, this was the first building constructed on the campus. So it's kind of the, uh, kind of the, the roots, the physical roots of what's now a sprawling uh, campus, many, many buildings across many acres. And part of what I love about this space is all the green space here. And it's an assembly space. And as, as you can see with the students behind us who are practicing some dance routine, um, it's, kind of, it's kind of an informal spot of gathering where people come and they hang out and they have picnics and they read books. They talk to their friends. I've seen the occasional smooching. Uh, people do like, uh, like they, they run sprints back and forth. And it's just, it's kind of almost like a commons or a greens for, uh, for the university. Uh, today we have the resident uh, Canadian geese. Um, some people are more thrilled by those than others. <laughs> uh, and and then you look down towards the east, and you can see uh, you can see the bridge over the Thames River, which is where we're headed mm -hmm. over the tributary. That's great. Well, yep. let's uh, let's start our walk. Okay. Yeah. Sure. That's great. And okay, so uh, come on. so tell me about how you got here to London. My very first visit to London came in about 2005. 
I was editor of an academic journal and uh, the campus here was hosting the Congress of the Humanities and Social Sciences, which is a big deal mm -hmm. in Canada. And I was coming to give a presentation. I got lost immediately on the campus trying to find visitor parking. That was my like, you know, memory of it. Um, I remember thinking like what a spectacular and beautiful place it was. This summer we were supposed to actually host that same conference again, but of course the pandemic changed everything. And uh, I had been uh, president of Concordia in Montreal for seven years by the time I arrived in London. And uh, I do think that having been a president for some years before has made it, uh, has been an advantage, let's say, in the pandemic for sure. Um, and I'm kind of back to my roots. Uh, I grew up in the American Midwest. This feels very much like that. You know, you drive a couple of kilometers north uh, on Richmond Street and you're uh, back in the uh, back in the cornfields and soybeans and all that. Um, and I love the tradition of these uh, great public universities. Mm -hmm. They're so awesome. They are. And uh, what uh, what prompted the, the move from Concordia to here? Um, I had been president there for seven years and I felt like I had done what I what I was able to do and I'd made my contribution and um, I'd found that I was ready for my next challenge. And so uh, and the way these things go, like you get contacted by uh, people who are executive search firms, like headhunters, commonly called. They don't like that term, but that's what everybody else calls them. And uh, they started speaking to me about the opportunity. I'm sure they were speaking to many great candidates. And then you go through a fairly long process of multiple interviews, uh, meeting members of the board, members of the faculty, students and staff. Um, and then like magically you get a phone call <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, that's always a surprise because a lot of great people out there who could you know who I'm sure are interested in the job. Mm -hmm. How uh, how did you land in academia as a, as a career? Um, I didn't I didn't think I was gonna I mean no one plans to be a university president it's kind of a weird job uh, and I didn't really think I'd be in academia I started out I was the uh, first in my family to go to university back in Minnesota and um, I didn't even really know what that meant other than it was going to be a different life than the one my family had had for generations. They had been doing a mixture of farming and my father did white collar work. But um, my mother dropped me off at my undergraduate liberal arts college in August of 1979, a long time ago. And within about three or four hours, I was like, I felt like I was sort of like, Alice in Wonderland, I kind of like jumped in a hatch and gone to another universe. Like, it was a world I didn't know. I didn't know about books, ideas I'd never heard of. Uh, and I was super excited. Misha is rolling in <laughs> some substance, which is not good for her. Come on, Misha, let's go. I know, Misha looks so comfortable right she now, does. though. <laughs> Maybe if I wave this bag of treats at her, she'll cooperate. <laughs> Misha. This is the cutest ID tag ever Isn't with the Ontario, the Ontario license. Come on, let's go. Come on. Come on, let's go. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is, you know, this is the charm of the green space is mm -hmm. people just hang out and they sun themselves, which is what Misha's doing. <laughs> so I wasn't really planning career in academia. I thought I wanted to do um, emergency room medicine. I had been working for an ambulance service. I've been working in uh, hospitals and nursing homes all the way through high school and into university. And then I got to um, you know, maybe my second year of university and I thought, ah, I want to be a university prof. Mm -hmm. And so that was the path. Yeah. Uh, and so it was the, the new ideas and the wanting to... It was the ideas mm -hmm. and, the, and the people and the conversations. And, mm -hmm. and you know what? That's not, I, haven't, I haven't lost that. I'm still excited by all that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so you've been doing this, uh, you've been a president for quite a while. Uh, yeah. How many years total? 
I'm starting my ninth year. I know, it seems like a long time. What philosophy do you hope to uh, pass on to your students or to students at your universities? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, (laughs) So some presidents are quite obsessed by their legacy and so forth. I don't see it that way. I think I was um, given this amazing opportunity to lead a public institution. I'll do my best job. Um, And when I'm done, I'm done. And then somebody else will come along and you hope they'll do the best job they can do. Um, in terms of like philosophy for students, um, really I see um, presidents as, as servants, as servants of the community. Um, uh, I have access to resources and opportunities and I try to share those and um, make the best use of Western's resources that I know how to do and create opportunities really. And I would say that's for students as well as like staff and for faculty and alumni too. And part of my responsibilities are to protect and sustain the, the value of the university's degrees and its, and its academic community. You're really, a, you're like a steward, really. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great job, it's a complicated job, but mm-hmm. it's a great job. Um, so turning to uh, London for a second, what's yeah. your favorite spot in London, Ontario? Well, we're headed there now, which mm-hmm. is this little tributary of the Thames that runs through the campus. Mm-hmm. And, um, my family and I are big hikers and uh, nature lovers. We spent a lot of time traveling around, you know, going hiking. No mountains in this area, but I knew that. I'm a Midwesterner. Um, but we like tromping along like rivers or tributaries and just seeing what animals you can find and, and so forth. Yeah, I found uh, during the pandemic, it's so interesting how we've all turned to nature as we can only yeah. go outdoors now. Yeah. And I'm yeah. so excited by, you know, gophers and beavers and yes. weasels that <laughs> yes. I never thought I'd be so excited by them. I think there's been, um, I mean, you're reading all this stuff in like the New York Times and elsewhere about, and, and also the Globe and Mail, but the, the movement out of urban environments or people are kind of rethinking. It's kind of a back to nature movement, kind of a Henry David Thoreau movement in the American context, but... I think we're all our lives are a little bit quieter like I know that well, I know my life is definitely quieter because as president I'm traveling a lot I'm on the road I'm entertaining and none of that's really been possible so everything I've been doing is by zoom Misha come on uh, so uh, my own life's been very qu- quiet <laughs> I'm home you know almost every evening with uh, the dog and the kids and the partner and uh, that's uh, that's unusual for a university president mm-hmm. And so with all of this free time uh, or, or a little bit of a quieter, quieter moment in your life, what have you been thinking about? Well, I've been trying to read books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to keep, uh, keep uh, somewhat current in my own uh, academic area so that I don't like, lose some of my uh, engagement and investment. Um, I've been thinking a lot about like, what really matters in life. Misha, come on, let's go. Come on. And about... Um, quality of life, right? The quality of food, quality of like uh, recreation, time to read books. Like we're in such a digital world now with, you know, I read all my newspapers online. Most people probably do. Um, but I'm not sure like where that's all going. And I, I, miss, I miss reading a book, having a conversation with a friend, having a glass of wine, kind mm-hmm. of in a kind of quiet way. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Misha is very keen on there's some kind of an animal that's over there. <laughs> and every time we walk by there, she's very keen on what's under those bushels. Mm-hmm. You'll have to edit this all out, I guess. <laughs> Sorry. No. Or you can just leave it in. Yeah, you might. It's, you like, might it's like real life. Yeah. Misha, come on, sweetheart. Let's go. Come on. You're a good dog. Yes, you are. 
And uh, so, there, yeah, so we're kind of circling around talking about, you know, a return to a quieter time, uh, maybe a time that feels like the past. Yeah. Is there something that you hope from that quieter time comes to the forefront in the future? Well, there have been a lot, you know, there's a lot of armchair uh, prognosticators in any kind of pandemic. A lot of people with, you know, sort of, um, it's a tsunami, that kind of, you know, exaggerated uh, assessments. There's a lot of discussion about whether, you know, the whole world will be changed by the pandemic. I'm kind of one of those people who thinks not so much that we're just craving to get back to our old busy lives. I suppose some things will be changed, but um, it will probably take a while before we figure out what that is. Yeah. And I'm not sure if it'll be um, what we think it is. So for example, okay, Misha, we may have to just go when we can go. Come on, let's go, come on, <laughs> let's go. Come here, come here, Misha. We just got a, we just got a cross Perth drive here. Good girl. She has this unpleasant habit of lying down in the middle of intersections. So <laughs> once we get going, we're going. Yeah, she. Well, it looks like she has a clear mission right now. She does. She, she's on her way to the uh, to the uh, banks of the river, which she she likes. Yeah. There's a lot of discussion about how things will change. I, I'm not. I'm kind of a skeptic about you know massive change. I think social change happens more gradually. Uh, I'm reading about how people don't want to live in you know tall buildings with elevators. I think the minute there's a vaccine, you know, the charms of the tall buildings, elevators will come back. That's yeah. my sense. Um, but I do think it has been an opportunity to rediscover nature and a bit of the quieter, simpler life. Uh, and I, I have to say, I've really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you bring up like the, the vaccine will probably lend itself to a return to the tall buildings because I think what we're seeing now is a little bit of a Toronto flight, you know, maybe yes. to London. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I'll be curious once the vaccine's introduced, what does that mean for the people who have bought, uh, you know, space here in this city? Right. Well, my perception is that London's uh, having a bit of a renaissance. It's like on the rise, and uh, all environments, you know, have their ups and downs. And uh, I think it's been tough on London as the manufacturing sector, you know, left and so forth. We're getting these days. We're getting these days more of a high tech sector. Um, the university plays a really key role in the local economy as well as nationally and internationally. And it's sort of like one of those moments where if you're local, mm -hmm. people kind of take you for granted. Mm -hmm. And so I think one, one of the things I would hope for for Western is, as I start my presidency is that the, um, the Western community and the London, Middlesex, Southwest Ontario communities get to know each other a bit better. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of amazing things happening here. And Sometimes it's, you know, what's in your own backyard you don't really pay attention to or you don't mm -hmm. really know. And um, so that's an opportunity for us all. Yeah. Yeah, so I love the idea of, uh, you know, London, Middlesex and Western getting to know each other a little bit, uh, a little bit better. I know, um, I think it's by the end of next year, the School of Continuing Studies uh, is going to be coming out of downtown. What prompted that move? Well, they've been there about 20 years. And mostly what we had was our offices down there. And we had a couple of classrooms. Um, it was actually a sign of uh, you know, revitalization of the downtown that other businesses wanted our space and made leases for it. And so our lease wasn't renewed. And that gave us a, a prompt to think about, well, where else are we gonna go? What else are we gonna do? For now, we're going to 
have our permanent staff from the Continuing Studies program return to campus. We have various ideas, like uh, things like pop-up offices, pop-up classrooms. I've been wondering whether we could have classrooms in malls, for example. Mm -hmm. Great parking. You know, one of the challenges of continuing studies is always like, is there a place to park? It's easy because mm -hmm. people come rushing in after work or whatever. Um, there's a bigger question about what's the role of continuing studies. So we're in this kind of knowledge economy and um, everyone says, well, we need to upskill everybody. Employers want people with more skills. The employees want more skills. Maybe they've been laid off or maybe they just want to change careers. You know, we're in a very fluid world now, so you don't do the same thing for 40 years. So one of the big challenges for us is going to be, what's the future of lifelong learning? Mm -hmm. And when I was in Montreal, I wanted to call it like advanced professional development because that's basically what it is. It's not the old-fashioned notions of continuing study, something you do when you retire and you're uh, you know, at a loose ends for you know, some activities. We, we have that too. But for people who are kind of mid-career, they want to like just make sure they're au courant. Make, they want to make sure they're like up to speed or you know, get new skills. But what's, what we're seeing across Canada and really across North America is everybody says that, but there's, there's not a lot of action yet in online in, um, in continuing studies really it's still it's still an area that needs more development mm -hmm. at western and everywhere it's it's not just western mm -hmm. and is that more development from the university end or from the employer end? i, I think it's both actually mm -hmm. um for, for sure from the university end, which is what i'm most familiar with that that we could be more creative and more aggressive uh i was talking to a president of another canadian university i won't say which one uh, just today and she said um they were expecting in the, in the pandemic that their uh, enrollments in continuing studies would rise sharply, which is what you typically expect. This time, it, that's not happened. So is it that people are Zoomed out? They don't want to do more, more Zoom? Mm -hmm. uh, or something else going on? I just want to make sure that we offer programs that uh, really meet the needs of, uh, of people in the community. And, and that community might be far and wide if it's online. It doesn't have to be just in London. Yeah. But I'm really committed to the idea that Learning something that happens across your whole life, it isn't like you're 22, you get your undergraduate degree and you're done, thank you very much. Uh, th there was a time when that was probably the model, but I don't think that's the model now. Yeah. And I would love to go back to school myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I agree, and when you touched on, you know, uh, people don't stay in one career, they're constantly like yeah. moving around, that requires uh, a little bit more lifelong learning. It does, it's a very fluid world now, and that's got its charms and also its risks, right, for all of us, right? Mm -hmm. So, as a theater artist, uh, I'm always looking at how to uh, get people into the theater. I think we do some great work downtown. Yeah. But I, I, I constantly, I go into the theater and I don't see anyone my age, uh, yeah. 30 or, or younger. Yeah. Uh, how do you think we can cultivate uh, getting some younger folks into the theater and, yeah. and cultivating some Western students maybe to get there? That is a great question. And I'm also on the board of the Stratford Festival. Mm -hmm. I've been on the board and I've just gone on again. And that's a question that we asked too. Misha, we're going to the right here. Going this way, come on. Come on, sweetie, we're going down here. Come on. All right, requires another treat. Um, so this is a challenge also for like uh, symphony orchestras, any, any of the arts, right? One of the, big, one of the big challenges for all of us will be um, the digital world, digital media games. So for example, one of the things that I, um, I'm obsessed by airplanes and all things aviation, 
and now Microsoft's coming out with this new, like, newly revised flight simulator game, which I can hardly wait to get mm -hmm. for the Xbox that my kids own. Mm -hmm. And there was a world when people would have only done live theater, live music, because this kind of virtual world didn't really exist, other than in novels, mm -hmm. which they still do. So how are we going to compete against that? And I suspect that some of it will be pyrotechnics by the theater programs, right? Some of it will be like, you know, very flashy stuff. Some of it will be maybe like, I don't know, campaigns to kind of remind people of like the, the, the incredible pleasures of live theater, live music. Uh, not everything is a mediated virtual digital world, but, but we're going to have to compete hard. It's mm -hmm. going to be tough, I yeah. think. Okay, Misha, we're just going to make a couple of rights here to go down into the Thames Valley Parkway. Yeah, I always agree. And I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, we, we right now at the Grand have this uh, $9 million renovation we're doing and upgrades to our technical capacities because hopefully that will add a little bit more flash uh, yeah. to the stage yeah. uh, that will maybe draw some younger folk in. Well, it's a beautiful facility, too. It was beautiful in its own right. And now, you know, you're, you're investing for the future, too, right? Okay, here we go. We're going on to this footpath along the tributary. Is this okay with you guys? And we have to, like, we have to make our way through here in a way that, like, preserves all the wiring. You go this way, sweetheart. Yeah, Misha. Come on, baby. Come on, let's go. Come on, sweetheart. Let's go. You can go in. She's a very, um... Well, she, you can see she's sniffing like crazy. She's a very hesitant yeah. doggy. A little tepid. She is. She grew up on a farm where there were no leashes, and she could kind of do whatever she wanted. Come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. Yeah, good dog. Hang on, hang on, hang on. And now, hey, Mish, can you come this way? Come this way. There you go. Yeah, so the, uh, your question's a very important one about how are we going to, um, how are we going to preserve all these great traditions and also make it real for the next generation. And that's always a challenge for art, right? That's always a challenge. Um, but it's going to involve technology somehow, seems yeah. like. You're Western's first openly gay president. I am, yes. Is. is there any responsibility you feel with that comes with that? or? Um. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I've been out um, since 1984, so it's a long time now. Uh, I came out in my first year of graduate school. I did not come out when I was living with my parents in the rural Midwest, nor did I come out as an undergraduate because it didn't feel safe. And it was, that's a very different time, you know, it's the early 1980s, so different now. Um, and when I got to graduate school, I just felt this compulsion to like deal with this part of my life. And I did, and it was a really positive, wonderful experience. Um, I mostly don't think about it day to day, honestly. Like, I have a partner of 26 years, long-suffering. Uh, we have two kids that we adopted here in Ontario. Um, I had a conversation with one of my sons oh, several years ago. He was probably 11 or 12 at the time. And I was trying to make sure that he wasn't getting bullied at school for having two dads. And so I said something along those lines to him. And he said... Um, Daddy, don't you get it? it? Like, my generation, we don't care about this stuff. <laughs> like, I know you're, like, all wound up and you're worried, but, you know, I'm not being bullied. No one cares. All they want to know is can they come and have pizza and, like, watch a movie? Mm -hmm. And since they can do that, they don't care. Yeah. 
And, and that was really a refreshing moment. Um, I found it hasn't made too much of a difference in my professional life. There are a couple of moments where I think um, I had an adverse experience simply because of uh, people's prejudice, um, but it's, it's quite rare actually. It's so great that we're in a, you know, in a moment where we can have this conversation and your, your, your son can be like, yeah, it's not an issue. Yeah, it, yeah. it was really, it was a startling moment because, of course, we were torturing ourselves with, are they okay? <clears throat> Excuse me, are they okay? Are they safe? <coughs> and they were like, yeah, we're fine. So I think this, this, the student body is, um, uh, you know, obviously focused a little bit here north of, uh, in the north end of the city. Yeah. How, how do we get the student body integrated into downtown or into the downtown life a little bit more? Do you think it's necessary? So look, this is the challenge for um, all universities that have historically been a bit separated from the, from the larger community that they're, they're set in. If we were talking about University of Toronto or McGill or Concordia and so forth, they were always set right in the center of the city. Um, Western was uh, built a bit separate, a bit apart, right? Um, I think there are many ways in which we are already in the city, but it isn't always recognized. So for example, we have hundreds and thousands of students every year doing internships, practicums, training programs in the hospitals, um, in the uh, schools, and so forth. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and we know that the Western students are downtown for uh, you know, a, a pint of beer. Um, question is like, how, how else are they engaged? And I think it is a good idea to work towards uh, deeper engagement that's, uh, you know, beyond the pint of beer. And, um, and not to minimize the practicums and the internships that happen today, but can we integrate that even further? That would be a good thing, I think. Um, I think it's okay that some students come to London and to Western, they get a great education and they leave for other parts, that not everyone's gonna stick in this economy some people are going to go back to Toronto, Vancouver. We actually have alumni all over the world. And that's a sign of a great institution, right? Is that your alumni are so sought after and such experts and so highly qualified that they're attracted to jobs and they're hired literally across the globe. That's a good thing. Um, and while they're here, if they can practice some engagement in the local community, and some of them will stick. Like we have, uh, I think I saw the number of 70,000 alumni who live in Middlesex. Really? Right, it's a big number. It's a surprisingly big number, um, and that's a good thing too. Yeah. You just want you want uh, both sides of that equation. Yeah. Uh, Lauren here is actually one of our Western alumni who's oh, yes. still who's still in the city. <laughs> yeah, awesome, awesome. Oh, we have a guest coming along here. Misha, wait. Misha, wait. Misha, wait. Yeah, I don't know what's down there that you're smelling. Something, something very exciting. A beaver, maybe. Maybe a groundhog. Come on. So in the context of the, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter movement that happened, there's been a global shift towards, um, you know, access to uh, institutions and breaking down barriers. What's Western currently doing to, uh, to ensure a diverse and safe environment and uh, yeah. reduce barriers to access? Well, it's, uh, it's a great question. It's a fascinating cultural moment, and I'm hoping we can... Um, make hay while the sun shines, to use a, use a farm metaphor. Um, I think there are uh, a lot of things that have been happening at Western already on this score. We have a lot of faculty members who do research in this area, 
who teach in the area of equity and diversity, uh, and particularly around black uh, issues for black communities and for all of us. Um, but there's more to be done. We started last fall with a, a working group called the Anti-Racism Working Group that I set up, um, I guess it was maybe November. Um, they started meeting in, uh, early in the new semester and they gave me a report uh, at the end of that semester talking about um, the community here and the experiences that uh, both uh, racially um, diverse students and faculty and staff have, but also the larger community. And uh, I've accepted that report. It includes some, some structural changes, like we're going to create a new senior role reporting to me on equity, diversity, and inclusion, which I think will be helpful. We'll give visibility to these challenges and opportunities. Um, we're going to start an alumni group uh, that will help us understand some of Western's history um, and context. And we're reaching out to current and prospective students. So. Uh, to make sure that we have really robust programs of financial aid uh, in place for those who um, have all these talents and don't have the resources to make it to Western. Um, but I think there's a broader kind of engagement with by the faculty and staff and students of the university in these big, big questions, sort of philosophical debates. Uh, I expect to see curriculum changing as a result. Um, I do expect to see um, more, um, more focus on the data, like uh, historically Canadian universities don't collect data around race. American universities do. I was trained in the American tradition. So I was very surprised when I came to Canada to find out that we don't actually know um, how many um, members of various visible minorities we have on campus. It's always voluntary to give it, but it's helpful to kind of track our progress. So I think we'll see that kind of focus. Um, my goal, of course, is to make the most equitable and fair Western we can have. And I do think, and I'm deeply committed to this idea that um, a, a diverse community is really a strong community. And strong for the people who are here now, but it's also when they leave here, if they're students, and they go elsewhere, uh, they bring that with them. And there's a lot of actually a quantitative research and evidence on how companies that are racially diverse, how they perform, how they make decisions, uh, and the numbers are really good. You know, they, they really show that um, having multiple voices and perspectives at tables when you're making decisions um, changes the decisions you make and creates opportunities. So mm -hmm. I'm super keen on this project. Mm -hmm. Sounds really great. I'm, I'm curious. I was talking to a friend last week, actually, and he had applied for a job and he said, why are they asking me about my race on this application? And he, yeah. and he felt uh, offended by, yeah. by the question. Yeah. So how do you, because I, I agree it's important to collect that information. How yeah. do you go about doing that in a way that is, um, uh, that seems fair? Yeah, yeah, I think if you can, um, yeah, I've heard, I've heard this too, where people say like, why are they asking me this? Mm -hmm. um, if you can, talk to the, the broader world about what your goals are for making a fair and just world. Uh, the data are important because if you don't have the data, um, they're kind of these unconscious biases that can come right into your experience and um, you might not even notice. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you might not notice if you're in a majority position. If you're a visible minority, you might well notice that nobody else noticed, right? Mm -hmm. So. Um, it's, uh, it's one measure, it's not the only measure, but mm -hmm. it's, an, it's important. Usually when I walk this, it's the, all the weeds and brush and so forth aren't really there. So it's, 
it's a different experience today. Mm -hmm. So you've been in your job for uh, one year. Yeah. What's the thing you're most proud of, of uh, at Western? Uh, I'm really, well, what I'm proud of about my team's performance over this first year of my uh, time at Western is how we have steered the institution through a really, really complex historical moment that no other university leaders have faced for the last like hundred years, which is the pandemic. Mm -hmm. The Western team has just been fantastic and our plans for reopening safely uh, and, and all of that, which are now an almost 100 page document, um, are the envy of other institutions across Canada. And I've had repeatedly people say to me, can I have a copy of that? You guys are way ahead. So the care that uh, the team has shown for the community, uh, the way the community has also responded has been really A plus. So I gotta say, I'm really proud of that. Um, I hope that I don't spend my whole time like dealing with pandemics because I do have other other uh, opportunities ahead of us. Um, we're going to start a new strategic planning process this fall. And often in academic communities, people go like strategic planning. I'm like, please, you know, like, don't bore me. Um, but strategic plans are just they're just conversations with the whole community about uh, what does Western stand for? Where are we going and what do we need to do to get there? So I'm looking forward to that. And that's going to start this fall. But, you know, it's a it's a giant complex place we have thousands of students and, and thousands of faculty and staff and many people are doing these awesome things that that you know um, they may not make it on the CBC news but they're like doing great stuff every day all the time where do you believe London has the most room to grow well, that's a great question I'm on the London Economic Development uh, Board uh, since I arrived here uh, and now it's been a great way to like kind of get get the lay of the land, understand what the opportunities are. I do think that um, the high tech sector is an is an interesting place to go. There's probably still room for the manufacturing sector, um, and um, I'm fairly optimistic about about um, and about communities the size of London for for future growth. Like I think that uh, you know I lived for some years in Toronto. I think there's um, there's a strong sense that it's kind of gotten so big that it's really hard to navigate. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the traffic is crazy and all that. I think uh, we have good opportunities here. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see more um, in terms of uh, helping our students and our community. I'd love to see more cycling mm -hmm. opportunities. I've ridden my bike to work a couple times um, and I'm trying not to do that because uh, I didn't feel that safe on the roads, to be honest. Where do you want to see a bike line? Oh, gosh, that is a highly political question. I'm not going to even touch that as I walk along the Thames River. That will get me into trouble. Misha, time for a dog treat, I think. Is there a story, uh, a little story that you can tell about Western or, or, or your, your involvement in London? Yeah, yeah the, uh, the story I was thinking of was um, how Western's more than 140 years old and how every September, every August and every September as people arrive back, some old stories are closed up and new stories are open, right? So we graduated this year virtually a lot of people in uh, June. And for people who are arriving either physically or virtually for September to start their academic lives at Western or maybe their careers as faculty members or staff members, each of those has their own story, right? And I often, one of the things that I love hearing from alumni is their story, how they got here, um, uh, who they met, who they interacted with. Many times they met a spouse here or they had a, 
really meaningful relationship with a uh, staff or faculty member who, whose advice and guidance like spurred them onto a great career. I just love those stories. And I was thinking, I was looking back actually through the, uh, the history, uh, history books about Western, all the way back to Bishop Helmuth who started it. He was uh, apparently a, quite a controversial character. And every leader of Western since then, they bring their stories. I brought my story. Uh, you know, I brought my kids, they have their story. Um, and so there's just this rich, rich tapestry of many stories and knowing as many of them as I can is a fun part of the job. Mm -hmm. uh, and people, people want you to know their stories. Like alumni, it matters to them that they're able to tell the university about like their experiences in London, their experiences at, at the university. And for a lot of like undergraduates in particular, graduate students too, it's just the most powerful time in life, right? Mm -hmm. It's just this magical four years of intense, intense growth, personal growth, personal transformation, and intellectual transformation, all wrapped into one package. It's a very, 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 very striking moment in somebody's life. I, I'm loving that, uh, you know, you're talking about the kind of the past, the present, and the future stories mm -hmm. of Western, mm -hmm. and, and the storytelling of that, which mm -hmm. is... You know, obviously in the theater, we are right. always storytelling. The always storytelling. The future as well. Right. Yeah. I even think about like the walk we're doing now along the Thames River here. Um, you know, people have been walking this river for probably thousands of years. I don't know. Long time. Yeah. A lot longer than we'll be here. Yeah. And I always think even like since the days of the university, you know, they had this vision of putting this building up on the hill. Very classical vision. They knew the river was here. I'm sure the bridge went in shortly after. Um, and think of all the people who walked this path, right? 100 years ago, 150 years ago. Us, people 100 years from now, probably people will be walking it. They'll be going to Western. They'll be leading Western, whatever. I love that. I love the kind of like, you're kind of immersed in a history that you can not really see. You know, it's there. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So. Thanks so much, Alan. Oh, it's, it's been pleasure. a pleasure uh, talking to you today. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks for coming on a grand walk with me. I feel really fortunate that I had the opportunity to spend some time with Alan and uh, uh, gain some perspective on uh, Western. His ability to weave together complex ideas and stories combined with his calm and friendly demeanor uh, really inspires confidence in his leadership. Western is such a large part of our city. It employs thousands of locals and educates the minds of tomorrow. Uh, so it really is an integral thread in London's tapestry, to use his analogy. Uh, I reflect on our conversation about having time to invest in what really uh, matters in life. And, you know, although Alan believes we'll be in a rush to scurry back to the way things were, I really hope we can dream and advocate for a more relaxed and quieter future where we have time to invest more in each other, thereby investing more in London and strengthening the tapestry of stories that will make our future. Uh, the Grand Walks would not be possible without our lovely team here at The Grand, including Dennis Garnham, Deb Harvey, Lauren Rubello, Jen Matthews, Aaron Ouellette, Suzanne Lantier, Lindy Hansen, uh, Britt Duncan, Lacey George, and Megan Watson. Special thanks to friends Rob Nabokovich, Jesse Potter, and Frank Donato for brainstorming with me. Thanks again, and looking forward to getting some more steps in with you soon. Okay, you know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to pick her up. It's going to be horrible.